FranWise presents What's Your Effing Business, a podcast about franchising. Here's your host, Marianne O'Connell. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast, What's Your Effing Business, where we focus on what is fundamental to making great franchise brands. And in this season, we're talking about builders and growers. The builders are, in my opinion, those entrepreneurial visionaries who had the idea and decided to create a franchise. And the growers are those really talented individuals who are able to come in see someone else's vision and beyond that and bring their resources to the table to help expand a brand. And today we have one of those great growers. She is the CEO of Any Lab Test Now, the Chairman Emeritus of the Southeast Franchise Forum, a member of the Women's Franchise Committee and a friend of mine. Welcome Clarissa Bradstock. Hi Clarissa. Hi, good day. It's so happy. Uh, great day, and it's great to be here. Thank you. Oh, I'm so glad you could make it. So before we start, can you give us a little bit of a background? What is Any Lab Test Now? How long has it been around? How many units do you have? Uh, yes, Any Lab Test Now is the first what we call direct access testing a company where a customer can walk right into our retail stores and order their own clinical DNA or toxicology lab test. Uh, the concept started back in 1992, and we started franchi franchising back in 2007, and we currently have 187 locations and project to have 100, 195 open by the end of the year. That's amazing. Are you doing any of the COVID testing these days? Yes, some of our franchisees are doing. We're doing a combination of the antibody testing, antigen testing, and then the PCR testing. Um, and it's in select locations, and we're also being very conscientious about safety for our customers. Um, but it, it's been really good that we can actually be a part of the solution out in our community. That's a terrific value to the community, because I know here in California, we've been struggling with access to it. Our city stepped up, and we've turned our entire fairgrounds into a giant free testing center. Uh, so it's been good. So what was your background before coming into any lab test now? Uh, I always worked for small entrepreneurial companies, primarily in the technology sector. And uh, the last couple of years before I came into any lab test now, I was working with healthcare technology. And I came in to learn more about franchising with any lab test now, knew the healthcare space pretty well, but also had to learn about lab testing. And I started as the COO back in 2007, uh, became the acting CEO in 2013, and the official CEO in uh, April of 2014. Always like when they make it official for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what did the company look like when you got there? Oh, gosh. We just, we just started. Um, it, it was a brand where... We had just uh, a few um, stores with the founder of the concept, and we sold, a, it was a very sales-oriented environment at that point in time. So we were an emerging brand trying to build the infrastructure, trying to build the processes, at the same time implementing them and supporting franchisees. So it was something that I think a lot of emerging brands face, um, a lot of challenges that we were having to execute 
develop, execute, and sell all at the same time. Back then, do I have this right that your main target was selling to companies that were doing pre-screening? Right. For our, um, actually two different things. For um, selling the franchise, is is what I was actually referring to as selling and bringing on prospective uh, franchisees. But as far as our different um, sectors that we sold into as a concept, we have a strong B2C and a strong B2B. So we sell not only um, toxicology to employers, but the primary focus of our brand is really clinical testing. So we actually get referrals from physicians and we have a lot of consumers that just walk straight into our facility to order their test. To me, that's amazing. Uh, It's a fast arc from even 1997, you said was the original date. So that's that's still a pretty fast arc. well, actually, we started in 1992 is when the concept 92. started, but we actually didn't start franchising until 2007. Right. right. But even then, going from mm-hmm. this institutional piece to right. where I can walk in now right. and, and get a test, I think that it's very reflective of what's going on and how quickly our society changes and how mm-hmm. we're taking some, some more um, ownership of our own health care. Yep, that's one reason one of our taglines is take control of your health. And that's what we see. We see people that um, want to really be ahead of the game and monitor, say, their cholesterol levels because they are trying to eat better. So they want to come back every six months as opposed to waiting for every year. So it's things like that where people, they like to know the numbers. I mean, you know, 70% of diagnosis is based off of lab testing. Well, I, not to get too far off the mark on the conversation, but my doctor just went to completely telemedicine Mm -hmm. and then sending you out for tests. So it just shows the importance, the testing with the, with the test results, he can get a pretty good idea of where you are and what you need. Um, So with, with this swing and all of you being fairly new to start franchising all at one time, what did you see as the the main thing to focus on to be a good franchisor? And then how has that changed over the years? I think the main thing to be a good franchisor is to listen to your franchisees. And especially when you're an emerging brand, really um, engage with them closely to get feedback to grow the system. Um, and, and what we learned through that process is we, we were working collaboratively with the franchisees, but I will tell you, we had some rough times. Um, We actually, I I think previously, um, we were more focused probably on putting more units in than necessarily um, putting more systems in place to help the franchisees. And then when I became the uh, CEO, acting CEO, CEO, we purposely stopped all franchise development. Uh, We stopped that for two years. And the reason being is that we had to get our house in order. We needed to really build our relationship with our franchisees, go back to the basics of working on our systems in place, and then also double down on the marketing support that we were giving our franchisees. And that really was the best thing we've ever done. And it really helped us. So we were fairly stagnant as a brand for about two to three years. And that was actually by design. That's pretty bold in these days of people bragging about franchise development in the double digits annually. Mm -hmm but it paid off for you? Has your turnover been fairly level then? Correct. Um, it has been great now. When, and 
19, um, I mean, I'm sorry, in 2014, we were at 157 locations. So you can still see we have moderate growth. Um, so we look at between anywhere between 10 and 15 units per year. Um, to me, the biggest validation and compliment we can get as a brand is that half of those new units are franchisees that are expanding. And that's the way we like it. We like it where it's a blend of bringing new, fresh people into the system and then also having our, our existing franchisee base growing internally. Um, it, it's, it's just been really good with that nice, steady pace and always keeping an eye on the unit economics and making sure that we're, what territories we're opening up, that we're not diluting the revenues for the existing franchisees. Okay, do they have protected territory? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, when you stopped franchising and you decided to do more in marketing and support, did that require you to make any changes in your FDD and franchise agreement? Um, no, not no. It did not um, because what we did is that we took those those marketing expenses that we had, and we took the burden of that, so to speak. So we invested more money from an operational side. Um, for providing that level of support. I'll give you an example. Because we have a brand that healthcare is always in the news, right? I mean, golly, look at right now with COVID. But even before, measles outbreaks, Lyme disease. I mean, there, um, there are situations in which we have an opportunity to educate our customers. So the first thing I did was hire a PR agency that went out and introduced us to all of the networks, all of the different local channels. And we've built a great relationship with our local channels, and that helped get us coverage from an organic uh, brand representation. But we paid for it. The franchisees did not have to pay for it. So those were the types of initiatives that we deployed. That's a very generous initiative, too. There are some brands that try, yes, they're collecting a marketing fee, and they want to use every penny of it. But that's not always what's going to be the best for the franchisees in the long time. I prefer to think of it as a savings account, not a line item that you're constantly drawing down on. Um, so when you're, you're growing, um, do you ever look, I've talked to some brands that say, we love that our good operators want to increase their holdings and do more, but they will put a ceiling on the number of units any one group can own because they don't want to have a, a, a situation where so much is controlled by one group. A, they tend to get a seat on the FAC and can have an outsized weight. But the other is if for some reason they left the system, it leaves a gaping hole. Have you looked at anything like that? We right now haven't had a need to really put any restrictions on. We've got a pretty balanced um, view of, of or distribution of franchisees and the multi-unit operators. The ones that are adding new units are typically going from one to two to three. Um, we do have just a handful that are over four, um, but they, they are very, very good, dedicated, and involved franchisees. And they are some of the leaders within the brand of just helping their neighbors and peers. So it's really worked out well for us, but um, we really haven't had a need at this point to really address that. Okay. I had a question that just went right out of my mind. Oh, I know what it was. So as time has gone on and your business evolves, 
are you changing the profile of who you're looking for? Um, are these people who either need a clinical background, a sales and marketing background, or a business background? What, what's the person that you want, and how is that morphing? Yeah, it's, it's really interesting you bring that up because um, we learned a lot. Of course, when you start out as an emerging brand, you have to get the right feel for what is the right makeup of the franchisee. And it's not every brand is the same, right? I think it's very, very different. For us, for our ideal candidate is actually, we really like having people that in some degree have had, what well, that have had a sales background, ideally. And um, if they've worked on the medical side of sales, that, that means they're more comfortable, say, calling on physicians, uh, calling on employers. So that helps. However, they do not have to have a clinical background. We do have some that are clinical backgrounds, say nurses. We have a few physicians, EMTs. They understand the clinical part. But the more important thing for us is that comfort level of getting out in your community and really telling the community about our brand and, and building it that way. I think that would be important as to how it would inform your training. Right. And, and what are you going to focus on? Um, so things morph. I mean, it's now been 13 years that you've been there. What Have you seen your role as a franchisor change much in that time? I, I, yes. Um, and I think part of it was um, a, a change and shift uh, from the former um, leadership, where it was more of a command and control kind of view. And what we've changed into is much more of a collaborative environment. Um, we now have, of course, our FAC. We've got different committees, um, open and transparent. Uh, one of our core values is accountability. Um, so we are always accountability. And of course, another core value is teamwork. So using those two to really work closely with our franchisees. And then the other thing that I think that's important for a franchisor is making sure that the home office team looks at the franchisees as if, as they are, which is they are our customers. Our, as the home office, our customer isn't the person who walks in to any lab test now. Our customer is our franchisee. And it's a complex relationship for a customer, right? Because we are married at the hip for 10 plus years. And, um, but, but when we look at it that way, and I keep telling my team, you have to look at this as your customer, it, it, it continues the narrative of that service mentality in working with our franchisees. I'm so glad that you said that. It's something I find people who are coming into franchising don't always understand, that the minute their FDD is approved and they're going to start franchising, they are no longer in the lab testing, restaurant, mm -hmm. whatever mm -hmm. it is business. Right. Their franchisees are in that business. They're in the franchising business, and they obviously have to have an R&D arm that is keeping them um, ahead of the fold. So I'm so happy to hear you say that. How do you engage your franchisees in your FAC? Reminding every all the listeners, the A is for advisory. They don't really have a vote on things. So how do you engage them? Uh, what we do is we have our Franchise Advisory Council. Um, they agree to stay on the council for two years, and then they have a third year. So they've got enough traction. Um, we, we meet with them four times a year, uh, two times um, in person. Of course, now we're doing that as a longer virtual meeting, and then a phone call meeting. So what, what we do is we, they help um, with our 
long-term, short-term and long-term strategy. And then I think what's really relevant is things like COVID hits, right? So here we are, we are a brand that does COVID lab testing. And there are a lot of moving parts, I'm sure as you all, <laughs> everybody knows when you watch the news. So we had to make really quick turn decisions. Do we wanna do active infection COVID testing? Yes or no? So we had to, on a dime, get the Franchise Advisory Council on an emergency call to say, you need to guide us on how you, well, you need to advise us on what you feel comfortable with as a brand and say this is back in, in April on doing this type of testing. And it really did, that was where we went with what they advised us on, the comfort level, which by the way, has changed. But it was the fact that they were so responsive and so quick to help guide us. So that's a good example of how much we seek their feedback. And then as a franchisor, how key were you in supply chain? Because I would imagine all of a sudden they need an entirely new set of equipment to do COVID testing. Right. Um, so what we um, did constantly, we had, we ended up, we have, um, we had town hall meetings just to get the context of how things were quit changing so quickly every day for, gosh, I think about three months. Now those town hall meetings are back to, are, are at now at once a week. But what we had to do is absolutely right. We had to call all of the vendors and uh, take the lead going from uh, the newest and latest, greatest tests and being able to resource those and going up the chain with our, our partners to get that. But also we were, keep in mind back in April, May, getting PPE was a big issue. So we were, every day we could have a new offering, a new way that you can get PPP, a new provider for it. And the other great thing about it because of these town hall meetings, what was really exciting to see is that franchisees were working collaboratively with us um, so they would find a resource and then share it with the rest of the group. So it was really a very collaborative situation. But yes, we were front and center, not only with that, but of course, I think for our franchisees, as well as just about every other brand, helping them navigate through the PPE, the PPP loans and the idle loans and all of that. Things were changing, as we know, all on a dime. And uh, that was really an intense process for us. But I'm pleased to say that um, the majority of our franchisees were able to get the, those that qualified to get the PPP and the IDLE loans. Um, but it, uh, it was really good for us to have that constant engagement. That's good to hear they were able to get that. And I think a lot of the successful brands all of a sudden became loan advisors right. in the right. last seven months, where yep. before you would always have a third party and say, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll mm-hmm. introduce you to and go. But that leads into my next question. You and I go to all the industry events and there's always something new and shiny that is supposed to improve franchising that can make, I don't know, life easier or you need new tech. To me, there's always something new in tech Mm -hmm. or marketing. How do you, what's your filter for deciding what keeps you true to your mission and your vision and let you discard the rest without being cavalier and just saying no? Um, Really good question, because I think when you go to these types of events, um, you can get, you can kind of start to just switch gears, right? So what helps us is is having the the, uh, roadmap that we've uh, worked with our different committees and our Franchise Advisory Council. And once you outline the roadmap, 
this is where we're going. This is where we've decided to go. And it's not only if you go to the um, franchise events, but also if you have a franchisee who brings up um, a, another alternative, say for marketing. And it's like, okay, this looks really interesting. So what we do is we've got a roadmap. We will entertain learning more about that product, right? But in the context that that's a anywhere from 12 to 24, 36 month project down the road. Unless it's so absolutely compelling and game changing that we really want to entertain it now. But the good news is for our brand, we've got such a great foundation with a lot of the platforms. Um, you know, we're not really missing out on a neat thing. We're, we're adding um, some new initiatives and so forth at a good pace. Uh, so we're, it's not as disruptive, I guess, as it used to be. But yes, we set the expectation. And I had to turn the volume down. When I first became the CEO, I entertained all of these different things. And I think, quite frankly, that was a mistake I made. I should have cut the noise down and focused on a few key things. And, and that's what we've done. A few th key things with a roadmap, opened up a little bit of opportunity if it's a real game changer, but then set expectations that it could be, again, 24, 36 months out. So we're recording this in the first week of October and fourth quarter, you'll be doing your 2021 planning. Hoping we all see each other again. Um, how then do you look at that roadmap and filter in what's going to change? Because my follow-up question to this would be then, how do you manage any of those changes and additions? Um, with that, we it's a layering process. So again, we have our foundation and then we have our the next project initiatives that we're working on that are laid out typically, you know, through the end of 2021, we've already kind of road mapped those out. So we're in a pretty good situation right now for our roadmap, but looking at in maybe June of next year, if we wanna layer on another initiative, um, we have to make sure that we've got our existing initiatives, that they've got enough grounding, enough adoption, that we're not adding too much on for franchisees because that's the other thing we hear. It's great that you're doing all this stuff, but I don't have time to keep up. So it doesn't do any good to roll out new programs if they feel like they don't can't um, absorb them quick enough. So it's got to be a balanced paced approach. I like to hear that. I started my career in franchising as a franchisee. And when I then gave up the franchise and went to work for the franchisor, I told them they would just this one thing, their franchisees to death. Franchisees are busy, they're running their business, they're, they have their lives, and a lot of franchisors will see things as being innovative. I find it now with my brands to be tech-related particularly, they want one more report, one more record, and the franchisees are like, guys, you don't understand how many things you've asked us right. to do, and we right. want to do them well. All righty, so here's my final question for you. Hindsight is 2020. So if you could do anything over or change something, what would that be? Um, I think what I would do differently from what I did when I became, say, the CEO, let's talk about when I became the CEO, is I would slow down. I think um, one of the things I did, I wanted to, I could see what we needed to do and I tried to put together these programs so quickly, 
that I didn't at that time do the layering. Um, I made some miscalculations with that. Um, we've recovered from that, but I would slow down. I, I would have slowed down. There's nothing like COVID to help you yeah. slow down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. If people have an interest in any lab test now, how can they reach you or who would they reach for that? Um, they can go to our website at any uh, www, any lab test now, and there's a franchise section if you're interested in franchising with us. Um, and just fill out the form and we'll have our franchise development teams reach out to you. Um, they're, they're absolutely fantastic and we'll walk you through the process. We've been talking with Clarissa Bradstock, the CEO of Any Lab Test Now. I'm Marianne O'Connell, the president and founder of FranWise, and this is What's Your Effing Business? Tune in for the next episode. Thanks.